Deuteronomy chapter 4, 23 to 31. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Amen. Amen. For those of you that weren't here last week, we are going through a new series now in Deuteronomy. Uh, we're calling it the character, learning the character of God. Uh, many times we uh, skip over the Old Testament and we say, you know, that was a different time, a different era. And we just read the new, but we are missing so much rich stuff in the Old Testament. I can tell you just this week, the text that we're actually preaching from is verses 15 to 40. I didn't want to read that whole thing. That would have been half the sermon right there. Uh, but the I, I was just meditating in this all week uh, and the amount of. The, the richness of this text has just been impacting me, new things, every single day as I was reading through it. And I hope to communicate some of that to us today. Uh, but just to give us a quick refresher, last week we did an intro into Deuteronomy, why we are reading this book. Uh, this book is, the, is Moses preaching through the law. Before Israel enters into the promised land, Moses gives them a series of sermons. The first sermon is him recounting what God has done and then introing them into the law. And chapter four is the very end of that first sermon. And then in chapter five, he starts a second sermon, which he really preaches through the law, literally, uh, to them before they enter in to remind them of the covenant that they have with God and uh, remind them of what he has called them to do. And so in reading the Old Testament, what we learn is a lot about God. And the misnomer that we spoke about last week that I'm going to keep on repeating is that God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. And that's not true. Something has changed in the Old Testament and New Testament. It is not God. God does not change. His character is the same. He is the same. But what has changed is his covenant with his people, his relationship with us. Thank God that through Jesus, we have a new relationship with him and we are not under the old covenant. 
But when we read about the Old Covenant, when we read about the law, we get to understand and learn about what God wants, about what righteousness is, about the fruit of the Spirit, as we call it in this New Covenant under Jesus. But what does righteousness in God look like? And so as we go through this, we're going to be looking at the attributes of God, the character of God. How does God lay down law? What does that say about him for the things that he wants and asks for? And we're going to learn about his justice. We're going to learn about his holiness. We're going to learn about his love and his kindness and his mercies for us, which are all incredible things to learn about. And so we read through verses 23 to 31, but our text is the broader passage of Deuteronomy uh, 4 verses 15 to 40. And so last week we, we kind of talked about a lot of what God had done with Israel. And even though he had done all these things with them, they had still gone and they had served idols and they had fallen into idolatry. And how idolatry for them may have been worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars, but they looked for their sustenance from those things. They looked for their joy from those things. And so today we still have idolatry. We just have it in different forms. We don't worship the sun or the moon, but we worship entertainment. We worship entertainers. We worship money. We worship our job. You know, we worship all these different types of things asking for the same thing. We're asking for joy. We're asking for comfort. All of these things. And so what today we're going to talk about is the effect of idolatry and what it has in our life. And the effect that has on us. And I, the hint for today is it's a lot deeper than we would have imagined. And so we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, first thing in this passage that really stuck out to me and that we're going to kind of go off of is how Moses describes God. He says in the very beginning of this reading, he says, God is a jealous God and a consuming fire. So he is jealous and he is consuming. And, and jealous is a really interesting word, I think, to describe God. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second because I, I think jealous only has negative connotations. But it, it doesn't only have to have a negative connotation. But what these two things, what they describe first and foremost about God and us is this, that God wants all of us. God is not interested in some. He is, he is not interested to be a two-hour addition to your calendar every week for Sunday service. He's not interested in that. That's not what God is looking for. If you are looking to how to get into heaven and you think, okay, let me add church to my calendar so that when I stand before the pearly gates, I can say, well, God, I went to church two hours every week. You know, I, you know, church was only an hour and a half and I stayed the extra half hour and I talked to people. I mean, come on. That's taking some time off of purgatory for me. I'm getting in there. Come on, Peter. Let me in, boy. And that is not what God is looking for. God wants everything from us. He is, he is looking for all that we are. Not partial, not addition, not multiplication. Uh, you know, some people, it's, it is, uh, I, I, it's not just an hour and a half to, to get into heaven and to be with God. I will serve him every single day. And so they look for ways to put in four or five hours every single day and maybe... You know, maybe that portion of my life giving it to God, that is, that's not it. God wants everything. He wants all of we are. And that is why he is described as jealous and consuming. 
Because his jealousy is not the petty jealousy of, you know, I was with my BFF the other day and, you know, when she got up and she went to the bathroom and she, so she got a text and it came in and I saw she was texting with somebody else when we were hanging out and I was like, uh-uh, nah, girl, when we hang out and you say, and it's not a petty jealousy of... You're not allowed to talk to anybody else when I'm with you. You're not allowed. That is not, God's jealousy is not a petty jealousy. I think that one of the best ways that we can describe this, what type of jealousy this is, is is the jealousy of a husband and a wife. Now, let me tell you, they could be petty jealousy in husband and wife, right? Give me all of your handles. I'm going to log into everything because, you know, mm -mm mm-mm-mm. There's petty jealousy, don't get me wrong. But then there's a jealousy that we could say, that's not petty. That, that's true. And if you find out that your partner, your, the person that you're with, with your life, that you've given everything to has been emotionally connecting with somebody on the side and not telling you about it, that's, that's something to cause jealousy. And that's something that if me or you are experienced that, we wouldn't say you are wrong for experiencing that. But that is a correct feeling to have. And that is the type of jealousy magnified that God has for us that when we have made this covenant with us, that we have given him all and he has given his all to us, that then he finds us going and emotionally connecting and talking to Boo on the side and saying, hey, I said I was going to get everything and my sustenance from you, God, but I think I need a little bit from here too. I need a little bit from there as well. This jealousy is saying, no, this is me and you. You're my people. I have given myself over to nobody else, Israel. I have only given myself to you. You are my nation on the earth. I have, I have this covenant with your father, Abraham, that has lasted from generation to generation. This is not a petty jealousy. This is a jealousy of saying we were in a relationship. We made a covenant before one another. And you would break that covenant by cheating on me with other gods and with other idols. He is a consuming fire. He's not interested in partial It's an all or nothing deal. See, when you touch him, when you touch God and when you're in his presence, you're not touching the flame of a candle. You're not touching the burner of a stove that is contained. When you touch him, you are touching a fire that the moment it touches you, you are consumed by it. I think of the story in the Old Testament of of, of Daniel and the three men I don't want to mispronounce their name right now, so I'm going to leave it alone. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There you go. And when they were, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into the furnace for not bowing down to the God of Nebuchadnezzar, it says that the guys who threw them into the furnace were consumed by the fire. It was so hot. I 
The, the fire was so consuming, it was so engaging that the men who threw them in there were burned by it. They were consumed by it. And that's how I think of the fire of God. It is consuming that even in, in, in proximity to the fire, you cannot leave unchanged. You cannot leave burned by it. You are completely consumed by it. It is an all or nothing thing. Even in Hebrews 12, 29, it describes God the same way. It says he is a consuming fire. But in this context, it's talking about the awe and the worship of God. That when you understand his consumingness, his allness, his everythingness, that all you can do is bow down and worship and praise him. There is not other appropriate responses to something that is so consuming, so awe-inspiring, so amazing. And so when you get wrapped up with him, if you have truly touched the holy flame, if you have too, truly come into proximity of it, you are consumed by it. And so idolatry for God is the worst kind of betrayal. It is a cheating spouse. It is a disloyal best friend. It is someone that you have given everything to. And then they have said all the right things, done the right things. But then you found out they really never gave what you thought they did. And this causes anger in God. Right? He is shown his people the ultimate love. He is sacrificed beyond our understanding. And he has given to us when we did not deserve. When he, after Adam and Eve, he could have easily said, forget creation. I made a mistake. Goodbye. But he didn't. He keeps coming back. And our repayment to this is to cheat on him. To say, I know that you've given everything. I know that you've you've really come back when you shouldn't have had to. I know that you've sacrificed everything. And my thanks to you for that is to worship other gods, is to cheat on you, is is to practice idolatry. And so because of this, Moses warns the people and he says, don't do this. And he begins to prophesy over them. And he says, this is what is going to happen when you do this. When you worship other gods, when you create idols, it will not go well for you. It will lead to certain destruction. It will lead to certain death. And you, Israel, you're going to be scattered. You will lose your inheritance. You will be defeated. And your kids and your kids' kids will not be able to enjoy the promise and the inheritance that I have given you. They will experience the wrath of God. Now, what's interesting here is as I was reading Deuteronomy 4 and I was going through this, I began to look at the wrath of God and it struck me that it is so parallel to Romans 1 where it also talks about the wrath of God. 
And essentially, in Romans 1, what is described as the wrath of God is the same thing that is being described as here. And that is this, that God will leave you to worship your idols. His wrath, in its summary, is you want to worship them, then you may worship them. Go, enjoy your worship of your idols. You want the creature, the created, rather than the creator? You want the thing that was molded and crafted by his breath, but not his actual breath? It's like looking at the watch and saying, wow, watch. You just did an amazing job. You are such an incredible watch. You know what, watch? I'm just going to parade you in your massive... I mean, you know how to tick. Your timing is just impeccable. You're never early. You're never late. You're good at what you do. Instead of going to the watchmaker and saying, this is a masterpiece. Look at... This creation of yours, I I praise your efforts, I praise your skill, I praise what you've done. It's like going to the watch and praising the watch. And so we worship the creature rather than the creator. And guess what? God knows what will happen. Those gods aren't going to comfort you when troubling times come. Those gods aren't going to give you lasting joy in your life. When you are depressed, when you are anxious, when tribulation comes. Guess what? Those gods, they're not going to hear you cry. When you come in desperation and in need, guess what? Those gods won't even listen to you pray. Doesn't matter how often you do it. Doesn't matter how much you feed them. Doesn't matter how much you give to them. Guess what? They will leave you. And guess what? Those gods, when malice comes, they will not rescue you. Instead, Romans 1, it describes what you will get from idol worship. And it says this in verse 29. It says, this is the fruit of idolatry. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Pretty much you're a jerk all the way around, through and through. (laughs) How many other ways can you describe this, Paul? In case you did not get it, here are 30 ways to say the same thing. But Moses keeps preaching. He keeps going. He says the, the story is not over with God's wrath. In verse 29 in chapter 4, he says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with what? All your heart and with all your soul. 
When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So he says to Israel, when you realize what you've done and you realize who you're worshiping and you realize that they have deaf ears towards you. And you're going to come back to me. Guess what, Israel? I will accept you back. And I'm telling you, if you know the story of Israel, then you know they have done some pretty crazy, crazy things. Some of you if, you, if you watch television, you watch Game of Thrones or something like that, you think these people are crazy. Go read the book of Judges. Game of Thrones has nothing on that. It is some of the wildest, craziest stories that you can ever read. And this is Israel doing this. And this is the Bible. (laughs) But what does God say? He says he will not give them what they will deserve, which is death, destruction and abandonment. That's what they deserve. He says, I will not give you that. Why? Because he is merciful. God has been merciful from the very beginning. And he is merciful today. He is jealous. He is consuming. But he is also merciful. He anticipates our weakness. And he is still saying in that understanding, I will not close myself off to you. I will not abandon you. You will experience the consequences of your idolatry, which is a lot of the pain and the tribulation of your decisions. You'll experience that, but... I will not leave you. I will not depart from you. I will not abandon you. But Moses keeps preaching from here. He goes on to describe God and how he's different and greater than all the other gods. And, but he comes to this at verse 40. He says, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you. And that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord God is giving you for all time. And this is something about God. That he is generational. And this is an interesting thing for, I think, Americans to understand. Uh, Because we are people in America and the ambiance of America, the culture of America is, is me. And same for you. You can say it's me. It's about the individual. It's about my pursuit of happiness, my enjoyment in life, my life and what I want. But God is generational. And so that means good things and it means hard things. The hard things that it means is this is your idol worship does not only affect you, but your idol worship will affect your children. You know, if you look at society and you look at the statistics, you realize the truth of this, that drunk fathers produce drunk sons. Broken homes produce broken homes. Sin is repeated 
generation. It is visited on sons and their sons. Generation after generation. Yet also here God says something else. He says this. He says, my blessing will also affect your kids. He says, following and obeying will produce fruit not only in your life, but a blessing that your children's children will be able to reap from. And so I I know the typical message of this is to talk about the ebbs and flows. The climax is, you know, it's, it's all this hardship coming climax. God is merciful, good, I'm good, the end. But no, the climax is this, is that yes, God is merciful, And in his mercy, he will be merciful to our children. But that our decisions don't only affect our life, but our decisions affect our children's lives and their children's lives. And that in his mercy, when we come to him, we establish generational blessing. See, for me... I know, even though I want to take credit for everything in my life, you know, just want to be like, I'm the best. I'm great. I can't. And I can't because I have praying parents. And I know I am who I am today because I have praying parents. And I would not be who I am today if my parents weren't praying parents. And we're consumed by him. And I know my dad wouldn't be who he is today if he didn't have a praying grandmother. My great-grandmother was one of the first ordained Hispanic women in New York City to be a minister. And she prayed relentlessly for my dad. And then my dad and mom prayed relentlessly and still do today for their kids. In fact, I got to tell them, like, guys, calm down, you know, sometimes. <laughs> we don't have to have a prayer meeting every time I see you. <laughs> but this is the good news in the new covenant. That Jesus brings freedom from bondage of idolatry. That whatever you have served that has bound your family, whatever you have served that has bound your life, that guess what? The good news is Jesus came and he brought freedom from this bondage. That we no longer are slaves to sinfulness. And this freedom can begin a lineage in your life of freedom and blessing and good fruit through the Holy Spirit. I used to, as, when I was a youth pastor, I always used to tell the youth something that if you didn't like your upbringing, you know, we were, I was youth pastoring in Sunset Park when it was still hard uh, and before uh, Industry City showed up and uh, we saw people jogging and they weren't running from anybody in the park. <laughs> that was the big turnaround for me and my brother. I was like, yo, that guy's not running from anybody. He's just jogging for fun in the park at night. This is crazy. <laughs> So a lot of them grew up in tough situations, but they were just repeating that tough situation. And the good news is this, that instead of passing down 
bondage, you can change your life in Jesus Christ. That when you follow him, that bondage, that idolatry, any generational curses that have been on your life, you are free from that. You are no longer bound by those things. And instead, a generation of blessings can be given to you and your family and your children's family and your spiritual children can be poured out on them because of the ways that you have been obedient to God. See, God is not the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says here that the only reason Israel has this moment to walk into the promised land is because God made a covenant with their father's fathers. And he is extending that same thing to them. He's saying, you have been blessed by your father, so what you should do is create a blessing for your children so that when I speak to them and they look back, they will be able to say that we are here because of the covenant that God made with my fathers. And so many of us have grown up in tough situations and hard places, but the good news of Jesus is that there is freedom from that. And that because of our childhood, just because we went through that, does not have to be the legacy that we leave behind. I can point to person after person after person that God has said, you have been grafted into my kingdom. You are now my adopted son and daughter. And guess what? There is now a new bloodline for your family. And it is that of Jesus Christ. One that is here to restore, one that is here to bring freedom, one that is here to have good fruit in your life. And so I worry that when we think of our decisions, whether it is to serve idols or it is to praise God, that we think of it in the microcosm of our life and our life alone. And we miss who God is. The God who decided to bless the world through Israel because of a covenant he made over a thousand years before to a man named Abraham. He, Jesus came through Israel because of the relationship God had with Abraham. It blows my mind. It's blowing that phone's mind too. But I I would hate for us to be at a place where we look at our relationship with God and we and we we see it of a microcosm of what it really is. And we don't see it for what it's supposed to be. And that is something that can cause generational blessing, freedom. (laughs) Technology is going everywhere today (laughs) for our lives. I'm just going to say the devil doesn't want you to hear this right now. <laughs> Sorry, my Pentecostal always comes out once in a while. It's a joke. It's a joke, people. But I want us to look at our lives and say, when I am deciding to serve idolatry, when I am deciding to look at this and say, you are my God, I will receive joy, worship, comfort, and security from you outside of God, we are making a decision that not only affects us, but it affects the generations going out. 
And when we decide and say, God, you are jealous and you are consuming fire and I give you all my heart and I give you all of my soul, you are there for me, mercifully waiting, saying, I will accept you. I have not abandoned you. And with the good news of Jesus, I have freedom from these things and I can give generational blessing to my children's children. And we need to stop looking at our Christianity as this individual thing just between me and God. But we have to look at it between us, God, the people around us, and the people that come after us. Because what we are laying a foundation for is the generations after us to come and build off of that foundation. Will we give them a faulty foundation that they have to scrap it and start all over? Or will we look to God and say, God, we are only looking to you and our cornerstone is in Jesus Christ. And we will build what we build on your teaching and on your words. A strong foundation so that generations after us, our kids and our kids' kids and our spiritual children will be able to build on this. And receive the blessing of what it means to follow Christ. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray.